I'm in verse 11. We'll finish verse 11 up. And uh, the phrase at the end of verse 11 talks about how they perished in the gainsaying of Korah. So that's what we're dealing with tonight as we go through the Bible. I preached, I, I drove over, I tried to get out of it, but they, they kept calling the office and Brother Gibson finally told him I'd come. I don't know why he did that, but I, I drove over to Memphis and I preached over there and drove back on Friday. And I, there was a bunch of preachers there, and and I just preached through uh, just about the whole book of Jude, and because uh, that's what was on my heart. And then uh, I could give them a name, but I'm not going to do it. But we have people that watch. We do. We have people that listen to sermons and stuff like that. And uh, this was a group of people, and I didn't really realize it. I was just preaching, and somebody came to me after service. And they sort of want to argue with me a little bit. And they said, well, you know, the book of Jude is not really for the church. And um, then I had another guy do the same thing. And uh, But he had a different spirit. He said, you know, I've always heard that the general epistles were not for the church. And he said, you help me today. I said, well, praise the Lord. That wasn't my intent. I just preached in the Bible. Uh, but let me point this out just because it just sort of stuck in my craw a little bit. And so I want to just give this to you right quick before we get into the message. So that you'll understand that Hebrews, James, all of Peter's epistles, all of John's epistles, and the little epistle of Jude are present day church doctrine. Okay. We're not hyper-dispensationalists, hyper and there's some other names for them, but I won't give it to you because it's not important. Um, but anyway, what I told that one brother, they went on and said, yeah, isn't all this for tribulation people? I said, no, no, it's not for tribulation people. Because Jude verse 1 says, Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to them. That, that tells you who this is addressed to. So you, you can't understand any of the book unless you know who it's addressed to. To them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Now, I'm not going to get into all this tribulational business that they deal with, but they say that the tribulation... they don't. None, nobody believes that tribulation saints are in the body of Jesus Christ. But that right there says this is written to people that are preserved in Jesus Christ. That's the audience. Furthermore, he says in verse number 20... But ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. They don't even believe the Holy Ghost is in the tribulation, let alone you're in the Holy Ghost. And before we get there, just a little note here. You can't pray in the Holy Ghost if you're not in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. So I yeah, that's, and when I said that to these people, they just look at you. <laughs> well, what about those little epistles of John? You know, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible on eternal security is 1 John chapter 5, right? You may know that you have eternal life. None of the people that preach about these general epistles being to tribulation saints believe anybody can have assurance of their salvation of the tribulation. I'm telling you what they believe. So how could you have epistles of John written to tribulation people that give you assurance of salvation when you don't... 
Furthermore, let's just keep going backwards. This is just free. I won't preach long. At least I won't, I won't mean to. But look at 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. You know, you just have to put your thinking cap on a little bit. And I, maybe you'll never run into this. But if you run into this, I want, your, to, I want you to know your Bible well enough that you can give an answer right out of the Bible and you can show people that this is, you know, this is for the church. 2 Peter chapter 3. Watch what Peter says. He says, verse 15, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul... Also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, (laughs) as also in all his epistles, speaking to them of things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. What is a tribulation epistle talking about the epistles of Paul written to them? If it, people that, that try to say this is not for us, what do you do with that? You don't do anything that because you're just, you got a problem. Furthermore, 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse 13. And I don't know, maybe you're not even aware of this. This is a big deal. To try to nullify a lot of verses that we need to apply straight to our hearts. 1 Peter chapter 5, what does it say? The what? What's the church doing in the tribulation? (laughs) It's not there. He's, he's writing this to the church. Look at chapter 4 of 1 Peter. And again, if, if this is just for somebody that's tuning us, all the time I get somebody that they're, 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 they're listening to the sermons, praise the Lord, from all different kinds of people. 1 Peter chapter 4, look at it. He says in verse number 16, Yet if any man suffer as a what? A what? Not a tribulation saint. But as a Christian. This is written to Christians. Well, let's go to James. Well, you say, well, the James, you know, the book of James, that's written to the 12 tribes that are scattered and, and all that. Yeah, but there are people that are saved. <laughs> you say, how do you know that? Well, I just read the book. James chapter 5, verse 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the what? The what? That can't be, church is not in a tribulation period. You say, well, Hebrews. I mean, that's written to Hebrews. That sounds good, doesn't it? And Romans is written to Romans. There is no difference. And Ephesians is written to Ephesians. Well, we're not Hebrews. Well, I'm not a Roman either. And I'm not a Galatian. (laughs) How do we know that Hebrews... You say, what what do you do with Hebrews? Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Here's again verses that can only apply to people that are eternally secure. He said in Hebrews chapter 10, he's talking about verse number 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You see that? Verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. That can't apply to anybody but people that are in the church. Verse 19, having therefore brethren boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way. That's That's salvation. It's New Testament salvation. Verse number 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Do you really believe that's going on in the tribulation? (laughs) They're running for their lives, man. They're getting their heads cut off if they believe in the Lord. So anyway, that's my my little ditty there about people that don't want to believe Jude and Hebrews and James. And I could go a long time, but uh, we got enough foolishness to have to worry about that foolishness.
So we're in the book of Jude now, and we're talking in verse number 11 about the gainsaying of Korah. So these three men that God warns us about, Cain and Balaam and Korah, again, all of them are people that are associated with God. And if they can go the wrong way, then there's none of us that are above going the wrong way either. Cain, in the, in the day where he could talk to God audibly, and Balaam, who is seeing visions and prophecies of the Lord that nobody else could see, and Korah, Korah, one of the individuals that was given one of the highest services in all the nation of Israel because of his birthright, one of the elders, if you will, of the children of Israel, one of the choice men of leadership in the nation. And yet the Bible talks about his tragic story. Cain said, I want my way. Balaam said, I want my money. And Korah said, I want my rights. I have a right to do what you think you get to do because God's chosen you. And I have a right to do what you do. Just You're nobody special, Moses. It said they, they perished in the gainsaying of Korah. The very sad part of all of these stories that we're seeing, it doesn't just affect the one committing the sin. Somebody else gets hurt. And guys, that, that is our admonition from the Lord. If we do wrong, it's not just going to hurt us. You're going to hurt somebody else. Maybe your family. It may be someone else that's watching. Cain, sin, killed his brother. Killed his brother. Balaam's sin did not just affect him, but it affected the whole nation because through his false way and false doctrine, a multitude of the children of Israel started engaging in illicit relationships with the heathen that Balaam had given the counsel to this king to start, hey, send your girls down there to them. You want to get Israel, just send your girls down there. I said, send your girls down there to them. If we can get those boys running after the wrong skirts, then we'll just destroy the whole nation. That's exactly what Balaam told Balak, and that's exactly what they did. And God had to start killing people. So Balaam's sin affected a whole lot more people than himself, and so did Korah's sin. Other people got caught up in, it was, according to the Bible, it was his gainsaying, it was his wrong heart but other people got involved in his wrong heart and became casualties. Perished in the gainsaying of Korah. What is gainsaying? What does that mean? The word occurs five times in any form in your Bible. The Lord said, all the day long have I stretched out my arms to a disobedient and gainsaying people. That's Romans chapter 10, verse 21. To gainsay is to speak 
or to say something against, to oppose, or to contradict, or to rebel. The answer to gainsaying, go over to Titus chapter 1 before we go on over to the story of this man. Titus chapter 1. The answer that God gives in the book of Titus to gainsaying is very simple. He said in Titus chapter 1 and verse number 9, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the what? The gainsayers. The things that's the, what stops the mouths of the gainsayers is holding fast the faithful word and proclaiming that sound doctrine and exhorting with that book. There's nothing like the book that can stop people's mouths. At least when it comes in the congregation of God. So we're going to find out that the sin of Korah is the denial of the authority of Moses as God's chosen spokesman. They're gainsaying who they're speaking against, who they're opposing, who they're contradicting. What they're rebelling against is the fact that that Moses is God's given authority to the people. And it's not just Moses. They're also rebelling against the fact that Aaron is the high priest. So there's two things. Korah rebels against this notion that God's man is Moses and that God's man is also Aaron. God says the only, there's only going to be one high priest that's going to be Aaron and then it's going to be his sons. And they didn't like that. Well, why can't I do that? Because God didn't let you. Well, I don't like Aaron. You know, he's, he's the bird that made the calf. Are, are you listening to me? There could be plenty of dissatisfaction with Aaron. But you know what? That's God's choice. Moses. You know, Moses didn't do everything right either. Moses rebelled against God because he got mad. Be careful when you get mad. You say and do things. You can't put it back in the bottle. Moses got mad. God told him to speak to the rock, and he smote the rock. Disobeyed God. And didn't get to go in the promised land. I don't know why we've got to follow Moses. God won't even let him go in the promised land. Can you, look, guys, you can always justify why you don't want to submit to authority. And by the way, it's not just authority in the church. It's authority in the home. It's authority in the nation. It's God's authority in your life. You can always justify a reason. You know, God's given me a raw deal. I don't have to do what he says. I've got circumstances in my life that exempt me from having to do what God told me to do. I know God said this, but, you know, I've got this problem in my life, and surely he understands no, you've got to submit yourself to authority. Can authority be wrong? Yes. But it is always authority. And if it, look, do you, th- can you think God can remove authority? I never forget. I had a pastor. 
one time and he stood up in front of a congregation and they were having a problem with their pastor and he said this to him. He said, look, if your pastor's so wrong, are you guys not right enough with God to pray and have God remove him? That's pretty quiet in here. Don't we think that God is a lot more powerful than people? Is God limited? If Moses was such a bad guy, couldn't they have gone to God if they were right with God and asked God and God could have taken care of Moses and taken care of Aaron too? But no, they took matters in their own hands because we, we, we don't like this authority in our lives. And that's where we live. We already preached about that, about the generation we live in despises dominion. Don't like authority anywhere. Don't like pastoral authority. Don't like husband authority. Don't like government authority. Don't like police authority. Just don't like authority. Don't like parental authority. And so that's the, that's the, that's the story of Korah. So let's go over there. Numbers chapter 16 and we'll look at this. Exciting, feel-good story. No, no, you missed the feel-good already. It was back a few minutes ago. <laughs> you should have got in on why it's getting good, man. You, I mean, you should have been laughing and, hey, man, squalling and raising your hand. And... No, this is, this is about how we can get in trouble with our attitude. I'm just going to go through it here real quick with you. Numbers chapter 16. And by the way, you know, this message is not self-serving. I'm just preaching through the Bible. I don't have, to my knowledge, I don't have any problem gainsaying. This has been, i just about to be honest with you, this has been the easiest. I compliment you guys. This has been the easiest six years of pastoring I've ever had. I salute you. Amen. I, I'm, not, I'm not just... Saying that, I'm, 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 I mean that. It's been easy. And there, man, so many churches having cat fights, dog fights. I'm not saying that, that nobody's ever speak, spoken against anything we've done. I'm not saying against it. I just don't have a problem. I'm not, this is not a self-serving message. This is the next phrase. But this is a problem in the Bible or it wouldn't be in the Bible. It's a problem in the last days or it wouldn't be in the little book of Jude. And so, you know, there's no hobby horse here. We're just going through the Word of God. And uh, I appreciate the church. I mean, y'all might try to run me out tomorrow, but I mean, that's just. I'll tell you what I have noticed in my ministry. I have not had to take care of my enemies. Not a one of them. I have not had to lift a finger to take care of any enemies. And I've had plenty of them. God's always took care of them. And that's what's going to happen in this story. Because look, if you're where you're supposed to be, God's going to take care of you. If you have to take care of it, there's something wrong with where you are. That, that's the testimony of this story. Numbers chapter 16, let's look at it. Now Korah, there's our guy. The son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi... And Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, watch the phrase, took men. Oh, be careful of the people that are recruiting people to their cause. Took men. Hey, guys, come on. 
Verse number two. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel. Watch this. Two hundred and fifty princes of, of the assembly. Famous in the congregation. Men of renown. There ought to be pause there. Just because they're in leadership, just because they're famous, just because they're well-known and well-spoken of and have great reputations, does not mean they're not wrong. And just because they've got a crowd doesn't mean they're not wrong. I mean, that should have been the lesson from the get-go with the children of Israel. When they had the vote, you know, and the spies were sent in, Somebody should have learned that lesson right off. If there is ever a majority vote, let's go the other way. Is that not what happened? And, and that, was a, that was a smart thing Joshua did. He didn't send ten back in the land. He sent two. Because only two had come back with the right answer the first time. So the majority is usually always wrong anyway. And we can say amen to that unless we're in the majority. (laughs) Well, don't we believe in democracy? I'm starting not to. You wait until the majority of this country, and it's coming, votes in what they really want. No, so here comes all these 250 princes, and they're all, the Bible says in verse 3, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord, do you see? Doesn't that sound spiritual? We're all God's people. We're all holy. God is among all of us. Who do you think you are by trying to be the leader and, and telling how things are supposed to go here? You take too much authority on you. You think, you think you're a big shot. You take too much on you. You know, that takes a lot of pride to do that to Moses. Especially since your hide was in Egypt in bondage and he led you out of that, amen, out of that terrible land and gave you freedom. It takes a lot of pride to rise up against the man that that parted the Red Sea. Doesn't it take a lot of pride? You've got to think a whole lot about yourself to stand up against this man that God's used so much in your life. But nevertheless, they've got that pride. They say, you take, you take too much upon you. Well, I like Moses' response in verse 19. Verse 7, I'm, I'm sorry, verse number 7. He said, put fire therein and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. You know what that's called? You know what these guys are doing? Here's, here's a modern word for you. They're projecting. Moses, 
You take too much on you. That's what you're doing. Do you see that? How many times do people blame others for the things they're really guilty of? They're the ones that are out of place. They're the ones that are trying to take more authority than God's given. They're the ones that are trying to make, take more prestige for themselves. They're the ones trying to lift up themselves. It's not Moses. The last time I checked, Moses didn't even want to do this job. I'd say a lot of people want to be parents until they are one. And it's like, wow, what a load. There may be a lot of people that that want to be the man until they get to be the man. That's why some of you didn't understand when I told you I didn't even want to come here. Y'all did, some of you didn't understand that. It wasn't a slight against the church or the people or Alabama or anything like that. It's just who would want to get in the saddle when you've got to answer to God for everything that happens? I've got to stand before God for everything that happens here. Do you know what a load that is? That's what Moses is facing. And poor Aaron. God says, tag, you're it. You know, you're the high priest. (laughs) And they're saying, we don't like, we, we want to be the priests. Isn't it amazing everybody always wants what they don't have? And they want somebody else's position or some other place of prestige. They're not content with where God put them. Because look, verse 9, it says, or excuse me, verse 8, Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, you sons of Levi. See, Korah and all these guys, they're sons of Levi. They already had a job to do for God. Verse number 9, Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And he hath brought thee near to him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And seek ye the priesthood also. Do you see what he's saying? Moses says, Why aren't you guys content with the job God gave you? He gave you a job he didn't give other people. You are the sons of Levi. You have the privilege to do the service of the tabernacle and the service of the people of God and the service of the sacrifices. Why do you want the priesthood? Why aren't you satisfied with being a Levite? What about all the rest of the congregation of Israel that aren't even Levites? You get to do what they don't get to do. And why do you want to get, why do you want something else? See a problem? You see the root of this gainsaying? I deserve that position. I deserve that life. I deserve that that respect. I think some people are so jealous that some people get respected and they don't get respected. And there comes the gainsaying out of the mouth. Because I deserve to be respected. I I, I deserve that kind of love and appreciation. 
Sometimes people can't stand other people that are loved and respected and followed because in their heart of hearts, they really think that ought to be them. We're cutting the bread. We all got to check our hearts on that. So what does Moses do? Verse 4. What any good child of God ought to do when you face gainsaying or some problem in your life, when somebody rises up against you, what do you do? Verse 4. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. What an example. No wonder the Bible says Moses was the meekest man that ever lived on the face of the earth. Now, if they didn't, if they'd have stood up to you, you know, and you'd and you'd parted the Red Sea, come on now. And you raised your and you you had raised your rod and brought all those plagues in Egypt. And these guys come up to you and say, Who do you think you are? Man, I, I think I'd be reaching for that rod. I mean, that rod, there's, there's something powerful in that rod. I mean, that rod touches that with blood. <laughs> that rod had the power of God. But no, Moses just didn't lash out. And you always know who's wrong and who's right by who's the most humble. That's why I said this morning... That ass was a whole lot more spiritual than Balaam because it's the one that fell down on his face and fell down on his knees. It wasn't Balaam falling down on his knees. The animal was more spiritual than Balaam because he humbled himself. Moses, we know who's right in this story because we know who's on their face before God. We know who's not taking up for their own selves. We know who's not avenging themselves and trying to make it right. Moses just says, The big leader Moses, flat on his face. When's the last time you hit a hardship and you just fell flat on your face? Before God. And every time he is responding right in this. Look, look, God gets so angry with Korah and his company. Look what verse 20 says. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Whew. And you know what Moses said? Get them, God. No. That's what we say in our bitter, vengeful hearts. He does the same thing he did when he first found out about this problem. Verse 22, they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? They start, listen, they start praying for their enemies. They're praying and interceding for God to have mercy. They do that again at the end of the chapter when God really gets mad and starts killing them. 
in verse number 46, look at what it says. Moses And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from the altar and put on incense and go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from before the Lord. The plague is begun. And Aaron stood as Moses commanded and ran in the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stayed. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700 beside them that died in the matter of course. Get it now. It's Moses and Aaron that are standing between the judgment of God of the people that are rising up against them. Do you see the humility? Do you see the heart? You always can see who's on the right side because somebody's got a heart for people and somebody, they want to get back. And Moses, he he didn't want to destroy him because he loves him. He didn't want God to settle his reputation for him. He's wanting them to be forgiven. He's wanting the judgment to stop. Verse number 12. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eli, which said, we will not come up. So, So this is what Moses said. I want all you guys to come and we'll just let God decide who should be in the priesthood or not. And they said, we're not going to do what you say. We will not, they start rebelling against the authority of Moses. We will not come up. So, so this is what happened. Look at verse 20. Or excuse me, look at verse, um, where am I? Verse number, uh, six, uh, yeah, let's see here, where is it? Yeah, verse 21, I'm sorry. Separate yourselves, God said, from among this congregation that I may consume in a moment and they fell on their faces. Okay, verse, uh, 23, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abiram. See, Korah's getting these other people involved in his problem. And the elders that followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sins. So they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram on every side. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents, and their wives, and their sons, and their little children. Now... I don't know what changed here, but Moses rose up and said, I'm telling you, God said this, you all better leave because we're fixing to have a problem. You better get away from these men. I tell you what, when, a, when God sends you that message, you better get away from that guy's door. You better get away from his tent. You better get away from his influence. And for some reason, they listened. Except Dathan and Abiram, they didn't listen because they're so filled with rebellion and pride and that preacher's not going to tell me what to do and I'm not going to listen to that prophet and I'm just as holy and right with God as he is and how dare he tell me what to do and where to go and where to come out. I can, I can be friends with who I want to be friends with and I can love who I want to love and I can do whatever I want to do and who are you to tell me anything different? And everybody else is leaving and Dathan and Abiram is standing right there with Korah. They didn't listen to the preacher. So the Bible says in verse 28, Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. By the way, that is one of the requirements of a, of a bishop 
And if I were to drop dead or something happened to me, just know there's a little phrase in that Bible that says, there should never be a leader of a church or anything else that's self-willed. A man that's wanting his own way does not deserve a place of authority. That's why every, every husband in here, every, every father, every mother in here, if you don't want God's way, your authority is in danger because that, that's what gives you the moral authority anyway because you want what God wants. You're not wanting what you want. It's not like you're wanting these kids to do this because that's what you want them to do. No, you're wanting to do what God wants them to do. Just like you're wanting to do what God wants you to do. And Moses said, I've not done this in my own mind. This is not my idea. This is not my program. Just trying to do what God told me to do. He said, verse 29, If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open up her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then you shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking, all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses, and all the men that appertained unto Korah, and all their goods, they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. It's almost like a movie. You know the sad part of that story? The saddest part of that story is 27, where it says, Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. Don't tell me your mouth and your bad attitude's not hurting your kids. The earth opened up and all those kids went down with their parents. You know what you thought after that happened? You'd think that all Israel would have said, man, we need to get right with God. But you know that's not what happened. Verse 34, And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. Well, that's pretty, yeah. We're not finished though. 35, and there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. See, God settled scores. He didn't just kill these guys that didn't leave the tent. He sent down fire from heaven and just lightning bolted every one of those 250 that thought they were big stuff that came against Moses. The Bible says in verse number uh, 41, but on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel Murmured against Moses? And against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. Are we, are we reading, is this real? 
You mean you just watched God send fire down from heaven and kill 250 people? You just saw the earth open up and swallow a select number of few people that were around the wrong tent and then close itself back over and you're still mad at Moses and you're still mad at Aaron and you're accusing them of killing the people of God? You have serious problems in your heart. And you're just not going to let go. How many times have I seen people, it doesn't matter what God says, it doesn't matter how many circumstances He brings, they just will not let go. And these are not heathen people, these are people of God. That God wants to save us from their example of apostasy. So they murmur against Moses and they murmur against... I'll tell you what, if I'd have been there, I don't think I'd have said nothing. I probably would have been afraid to think something wrong. You know, put something in my ears and twiddle my thumbs. And I, could, how could you not learn the lesson? Just like people today can't learn the lesson when they see one person after another destroying their life and family when they go the wrong way and they stand against God and they stand against the Bible and they stand against authority and they see all that happens and yet they think, well, my story will be different. No, it won't. And so, verse 42, here comes God again. It came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses, against Aaron, so, so now it's not just 250 in Korah, Dathan, and Bible. Now, now the whole congregation's come up against them. That they looked toward the, tent, the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, the cloud covered, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. Here they go again. They fell on their faces. Seemed like that's always a good thing to do when it gets mad. God gets mad. Just fall on your face. So he kills all these people. The loving God would not put up with their rejection of the authority that he had chosen for their life. He wouldn't put up with their gang saying. God hates gang saying. He hates gang saying. Gang saying is wicked, murmuring, complaining, gossip, rebellion. God hates all that. You don't have to smoke dope to be wicked. You don't have to be a drunk to be wicked. You don't have to be a sodomite to be wicked. All you have to do is just speak against the good things that God's doing and the things that he's chosen. And you will make him angry. So, what's the good response? Keep a good heart. Come in church. Shout and praise God. Be thankful. Sing good songs to Him and fall on your face. And when other people wrong you and hurt you and harm you, commit your way unto the Lord. Amen. Trust also in Him and just let Him take care of it. Vengeance is not yours. God says He'll repay. He can take care of your enemies better than you can take care of your enemies. When He was reviled, He reviled not again, but committed Himself unto Him that judgeth righteousness. When He was threatened, He threatened not. What an example Jesus gave us. What an example Moses gave us. He didn't have to fight these people. He had to beg God not to keep killing them. <laughs> 